You're listening to the Product Podcast from Product School, featuring the best product leaders from Silicon Valley and beyond. If you're an aspiring product manager looking for your first PM role or an experienced PM looking to level up your skills and advance your career, visit productschool.com to learn about our certificate courses and how we'll get you there. This episode is brought to you by ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company building a more fact-driven world with consumer-grade search and AI-driven analytics. With ThoughtSpot everywhere, you can embed a highly interactive analytics experience into your data app and take your user adoption to the next level. Learn more and try ThoughtSpot for free today by visiting thoughtspot.com everywhere. What does it take to do product-led growth right? In today's episode, Rachel Obstler, EVP of Product at Heap, is going to give us the down low on growth and how to get it right so that you can create powerful impact across your entire organization. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining this presentation. I'm Rachel Opsler. I'm head of product at Heap, and I'm going to be talking about what it takes to do product-led growth right. This presentation is largely for the B2B product managers and product leaders out there, although there can be some relevance for B2C companies who are maybe transitioning from being more in-person to being online. And so with that, I'm going to first talk about a bit what product-led growth is. And I imagine most of you are familiar with this, but just in case... A quick summary. Product-led growth is first a go-to-market model. You know, the hallmarks of this model are that first, the product is the primary medium for interaction with the prospect or customer. The product is your primary sales tool, as in, you know, you have some sort of free trial or free version and the user is able to get to value by using it as opposed to having people do demos and a succession of sales meetings. Uh, The product is your primary support tool as well. So it shows you what to do when you're stumped. Maybe there's like an online knowledge base that users can self-serve in. Again, it doesn't mean that there necessarily isn't a support org or there isn't a sales org, but that the primary way that your users can interact with you is through the product. The same way, the product is also your primary marketing tool. So users can try new features on their own. They can share with others on their teams. Maybe they're sharing with people outside their company as well. So the same, the next thing about product-led growth that's really important is that It's a go-to-market model that works really well when your users are also buyers. So OpenView Partners has a really good blog that talks about product-led growth, and they talk about this as being the end-user era. You know, it used to be that software was purchased by the head of IT or a head of a department, and now when a user, like many of you in the audience, want to solve a problem, many cases you just go online, you search for a solution, and you try it out on your own. And... Compared to a sales-led model, product-led growth is so interesting because it's incredibly scalable. When you get product-led growth working well, it's really efficient. Think about what happens when your ability to acquire new customers is not limited by the number of companies your sales team can talk to or the number of new customers your success team can set up. Also, think about reaching people that don't want or like to talk to salespeople which is a bigger and bigger percentage of potential customers out there. So you're both efficiently scaling your go-to-market with product-led growth, as well as providing an option that some users, frankly, just prefer. And if your competition doesn't have a self-service option, the users with the self-service preference are used yours to lose. This PLG advantage is pretty apparent with this data from OpenView Partners. So given this, like, why doesn't everyone do product-led growth and immediately? Well, 
It can be pretty daunting. It's much easier for a newly formed company to operate this way from the beginning. But if you've been around for a while, say five or more years as an organization, you've put teams, process, and culture in place that are really optimized for a sales-led organization. And they will need to be broken down and changed to do product-led growth effectively. There's also companies that started product-led but added a sales team. And over time, the center of gravity for that company shifted to sales-led from product-led. You know, it's also absolutely possible to have an organization that does both product-led or bottoms-up motion as well as sales-led or a top-down motion. And they can be very complementary but it's often hard to maintain that balance. So in thinking about why this is so hard, I'm reminded of the shift from agile to waterfall. Some of you may remember this, and this process started gaining steam in the early 2000s. You might think we're done with it, but I still talk to people who say the transformation is ongoing, that they've recently worked at companies that are still more waterfall than agile. So these types of big shifts, changes in the way organizations work are really hard. But product-led growth, I argue, is inevitable. If you're competing with companies that utilize PLG strategies and you don't, their cost of doing business will be lower. Their ability to serve the self-service inclined will yield them customers that you can't reach and their ability to scale commercially will outpace yours. So what are the challenges that you as a product manager or product leader and your organization will need to overcome and how do you attack them when going towards a product-led growth model? What do you need to do as a PM to ensure product-led growth is successful? Big changes like introducing a product-led growth model or rebalancing so that product-led and sales-led work well together are hard. And they require addressing people, as in like org structure and culture, process, and technology to make them work. So I'll cover some of the key things to get right in order to be successful with PLG, a couple that fall under people, some that fall under process, and a few that fall under technology. So starting with people and org structure, many organizations create a growth team. And here's where that fails if you're not really careful. Putting growth in a box implies that the people in the box work on growth, but then that the people outside of it do not. Growth impacts many areas of the org But I'll focus here on the product team. The reality is all parts of your product need to support product-led growth. Everyone on the product team should be thinking about it. And if you're transitioning to product-led growth, often you need fundamental changes to the product that are too heavy a lift really for a growth team, which is typically designed to make small experimental changes. It's not necessarily wrong to have a team responsible for say, a number, like for converting trials or for the trial experience itself. Um, But it does need to be clear that every team, not just that team, is responsible for growth. So how does a PM that's not specifically a growth PM need to focus on growth? So say you're a PM product manager focused on building new functionality. First, you need to be thinking about self-service and discoverability. You can't rely on a CSM team in a PLG model to promote your new features. And this is the same scalability problem you have with sales. CSMs are focused on customer adoption, but they're focused on that broadly. They don't have time to promote a single feature. So if you're counting on the CSMs to make sure new functionality is adopted, it's not going to work and it's just not going to be scalable. Now, second, when you launch new functionality, you may not get it right the first time around. 
And, you know, we're all building net new digital journeys and getting the user experience right in a net new digital journey, a new functionality that no one's ever done before. It's really hard. So part of owning growth is that you need to allocate time to iterate. I recommend that every product manager actually explicitly think about the percent of investment that they want to allocate to new functionality or differentiated functionality versus optimization. For a team specifically chartered with, say, a trial experience, that percent will probably be pretty much all optimization. But for a team that's working on differentiated functionality, it won't be 100%, but it also shouldn't be zero. And I'd recommend at least 20% allocated in this fashion. So for the product leaders out there, make sure that you're clear that growth is everyone's job. And for the product managers, leave time for investing in discoverability and iteration. All of your new capabilities will have a bigger impact that way. This episode is brought to you by ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company building a more fact-driven world with consumer-grade search and AI-driven analytics. Build stickier product experiences by embedding ThoughtSpot Everywhere's interactive analytics interface directly into your data app or product. No more delayed release cycles or incremental UX improvements. ThoughtSpot Everywhere's developer-friendly platform replaces static dashboards with an interactive data experience in minutes, allowing users to intuitively dig into their data and trigger actions in their favorite business apps. Learn more and try ThoughtSpot for free today by visiting thoughtspot.com everywhere. All right, so I talked about org structure and making sure everyone is responsible for growth. Now let's talk a bit about culture. And specifically, I want to talk about a culture of experimentation. Building on the idea that everyone is responsible for growth and should be spending time on optimization, that really points to experimentation. How do you optimize if you don't try anything? So it would be wonderful if everything we ever tried worked as we wanted it to, but I imagine everyone in the audience knows it doesn't. So given that, it's important to have the right environment for experimentation to really thrive. So what is the culture of experimentation? Um, The way I define it is it's one where experiments are celebrated whether their results indicate success or failure. What's really important with an experiment is that you measure it and you can determine if it achieved the outcome you were looking for or not. Field experiments are extremely valuable because you figure out what doesn't work and you learn from it. And also, if experiments that don't work are considered failures in the broader sense, people will be less likely to want to try big risk, big reward ideas, and that will ultimately slow progress. So as a product manager, it's important to impress this idea on the development team that a truly filled experiment is one where nothing was learned, um, but that we expect some experiments not to do what we expect, and that's fine. And that should be celebrated. So that leads me to talk about process and metrics. So how do you get a cross-functional team rowing in the same direction? How do you ensure that you have a successful experiment? For both of those, you need to measure. And in measuring, it's important to align around growth metrics, which are different than sales-led metrics. So just talking about the metrics involved with landing a new customer, for example, you have trial signups, trial activation, trial conversions. That's all for product-led growth. Versus in a sales-led model, it's pipe. What sales pipe do you have at various sales stages? The other thing about product-led growth is you might be looking at lands as a more important measure versus total dollars and velocity being more important than the size of a deal. 
So why is velocity in lands more important than total dollars? So let's say that you have both a bottoms-up PLG motion and a top-down sales model. So they work together. And, and frankly, most companies that do PLG well, they do have both. So when a salesperson is selling top-down into an enterprise, the best reference for the product is when there are already several groups across the organization using it. So if your bottoms-up motion is working well, it makes it much easier for the salesperson to come along later and sell a bigger deal higher up in the organization. Sometimes if PLG works well enough, it becomes so easy that a central buyer will come to you wanting to consolidate accounts, seeing that there's a bunch of usage of your product within the organization, and they may even want to roll out more broadly across the organization. And that's really the dream of product-led growth, that it's grassroots adoption of your product that ultimately leads to broad adoption across the larger organization. So I talked about aligning around the right metrics and how bottoms up or product-led and top-down or sales-led models can support each other. But sometimes there's friction between those two models. And I've talked to lots of product leaders that have experienced this. And this happens especially when you're making a transition to being more product-led. No one wants to give up in sales a potential lead that could help an individual sales rep that is trying to make their quota. So if you're seeing this friction for your fledgling PLG team, there are a couple of things to do. One is just continue to remind the team that the customer is actually in charge and that statistically the majority of people don't want to talk to sales. They want to try things on their own. So it's totally fine to reach out as a salesperson and offer assistance. And if the potential customer wants it, they'll ask. In this end user error that I talked about earlier, that user will be more likely to respond once they've actually realized value by using the product. They know that they want it. They know that they like it they'll be more open to a conversation. So it actually benefits sales to let the customer find that value on their own. Second, one easy way to avoid friction with the sales team, at least for a period of time, is just to pay your sales team a commission on self-serve purchase. There's no work needed from them and that removes all that friction in the pipe. And you know maybe that's something that changes over time, but if you're trying to get something off the ground, this is a good way to do it. And then lastly, Use the product usage information that you have to provide better leads to sales. So shift the focus on that initial land, maybe to an expand. Expansion deals typically convert at much higher rates and with lower effort. So that changes the job of sales and actually for the better. It makes them more effective. All right. So we talked about people. We talked a bit about process. Let's switch to technology. Now, this one is probably the most obvious, that you need to support easy self-service if you want to have a product-led growth motion. And this goes for everything from signing up for a trial to activating the product, getting to value, and self-service payment. So your product stack has to make it possible for the users to discover value and pay. And sometimes this is hard for a sales-led organization to wrap their heads around. You know, one example of this is I've had multiple people ask me about demo accounts. And when the product-led growth team would work on demo accounts or, you know, demos like sandboxes. Now, using a demo account actually violates a pretty key principle of product-led growth that I mentioned earlier, that the user can get to value on their own. There's no way for a user to get to value from using a demo account. 
They certainly can see or understand how theoretically the product could work for them, but to get to real value. So let's take a quick example of like an analytics tool. Say they get an actionable insight that they they can do something with. The only way to get that value is looking at their own data, not data from a sandbox. Lastly, talking about the tech stack and okay, this is a different type of stack but let's, let's talk tech stack more broadly. Um, we're still in very early days for PLG, but I'll pose the question as to whether your existing sales-led tech stack will work for PLG or not. So just one example, traditional marketing analytics tools focused on how much content is visited and used. So, you know, there's a blog, which blog is the most popular? How many people are visiting our blogs? But with PLG, it doesn't actually really matter which piece of content gets the most views. What matters more is which content usage correlates with, say, trial starts and trial conversions. What of that content is actually driving the behavior that you ultimately want to see? To follow on that, in the world of product-led growth, knowing what a user does is a lot more valuable than knowing their, say, demographics. Their product usage tells you whether they are likely or not to convert, to expand. And just as a last example, traditional and more generic email drip campaigns are often useless in a world of PLG. They should really be topical messages based on what the user is doing, like what stage they are in the trial, maybe where they get stuck, and they should be encouraging. So in this world of product-led growth, behavioral analytics, i.e. what the user does, is king. Now, there's plenty of other examples of changes to your tech stack that you'll likely need when adopting PLG strategies, like your billing system has to work for that. But just in general, I do predict that as companies move to be more product-led, that there will be opportunities and changes in the typical tech stack and interesting opportunities for vendors that are thinking very much from a PLG perspective as opposed to a sales-led perspective. All right. So just to summarize... Product-led growth is kind of like flipping everything upside down. It changes a lot about how your company works, the metrics you track, where sales focuses its efforts, what product investments you prioritize, how you let your customers or prospects choose their own way. In this world, failed experiments are better than not experimenting at all. PLG is hard, but it's worth it because it can lead to incredible business success And if, frankly, if you don't adopt PLG and your competitors do, it will put you at a big competitive disadvantage. But it requires that you set it up for success by thinking about all the changes required to your organization and culture, process, and technology to do it right. Thanks for listening to The Product Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Taking the time to write just a few sentences about what you love most about the show will help us improve it and reach even more product people around the world. And when you're done, why not reward yourself with some free product management content and resources over at productschool.com. Until next time, stay product-led.